And so what I did is I kind of went where everybody else didn't go. And instead of trying to be the best like sales guru, which I, I granted, I'm not discounting my product because I, I like I already said, I, I think it's the best. Yeah. However, instead of trying to get like 1% better with that, I was just like, well, none of these guys know how to buy media. They don't know yeah. how to operate a true company at eight figures. And they also don't know how to market. And I was like, man, if I can be the only guy who can really, number one, be able to buy ads profitably and be a great copywriter and marketer, and number two, operate a company properly, if I can do those two things, I'll be the winner in this industry. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with the man, the myth, the legend, Cole Gordon. Cole started out by being one of the top closers in the high-ticket industry, having sold over $10 million in online coaching, consulting, and agency deals within just a few years in his career. Um, then he scaled his own consulting company to now eight figures in less than one and a half years. And now he builds, trains, and consults the top sales teams of hundreds of seven, eight-figure companies online through his company, Closers.io, having worked with awesome teams with Tony Robbins, Frank Kern, Dean Graziosi, basically everybody that you've heard of that sells stuff online, Cole has helped uh, with their sales team, including yours truly, actually, by the way. So um, this is going to be a super cool conversation and get into a lot of different sales tactics and strategies and everything like that. So Cole, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for taking the time. Happy to be here, man. Let me know I can provide some value. Of course. So before we do that, before we get into the value pieces, I like to I like to take it back because I'm always curious how people ended up doing the thing that they're doing, especially in this crazy world of online marketing and sales. Because you know, there's uh, typically not like a section of the card you fill out for your career counselor in high school that says like info product marketer or high ticket salesperson. So. Let's start there, dude. Uh, 12-year-old, 13-year-old Cole Gordon. Set the scene for us. What was life like for you? 12, 13 years old. That far back? That far back. Wow. That's far. So yeah, I mean, when I was 14, I was a freshman in high school and I got my ass beat so bad in front of my entire community during a wrestling match. So like, you know, during a duel, when you duel another high school, like it's worse than a tournament because only one person goes at one time. So not only is like, you got to have some balls to do wrestling because it's mano y mano, man to man, right? Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes man to man to woman. Like there's, there's women who met wrestle the men and beat them, yeah. which is pretty crazy. So anyways, it's mano y mano, but on the duel, you're the only ones going on at one time. So yeah. it's even worse. And your entire, you know, both sides, the, the entire communities are there. People come out, your friends come out, your family's out there. And I was a freshman. And the thing that sucks about wrestling in high school as a freshman is like, you know, if you're a freshman and you're a senior, there's a real difference in physicality. Like there's a thing going, there's thing, there's a thing called puberty going on. Right. <laughs> and so like I was this freshman and I just got my ass whipped two times. Like you, you always go twice. So a lot of times it's a try meet. So they get three teams together and then they'll wrestle each other. So I went twice. I got my ass beat really bad both times. I mean, it was like tremendously bad. And I don't know what it was. Like I had had my ass beat before, just as anybody who's wrestled probably had their ass beat. But there's something about that time where it really, like, I don't know if it was my dad, you know, didn't talk to me that night or something happened where I was very triggered. And I remember looking in the mirror and saying, like, this is never going to happen again. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do whatever it takes to prevent something like this from ever happening again. Cause I was in like a dark place, even though it really didn't matter. You know, it was just one of those things. You're so young, like you're in oh, front yeah. of all your friends, you're 14. And that night I uh, went into the basement and I started lifting weights and um, you know, like after the meet, like I'm like going to get my gains in or something, but like, <laughs> I was just so driven. And so like, I was like, I'm going to go downstairs and start lifting weights. And, and to be honest, um, what happened was that the, the gap between my freshman and my sophomore year, I gained 40 pounds and I put on a lot of muscle, no, no steroids, nothing really just good old food and, you know, lifting weights, man. Like I put yeah. on 40 pounds, went from 160 to 205. And, you know, I, I was like, for those who lift out there, I was bench pressing like 185 when I started to, I almost cleared 300. I was squatting like in the fours. So, I mean, and I was a, you know, again, so now I'm 15, right? Yeah, sophomore like, high school, yeah. I'm a pretty young guy, pretty freaking built, strong, 205. Yeah. I, weigh, I weigh more than I weigh now. And uh, it totally transformed like my sports. I mean, as you can imagine, like I was, I went from being not that great to like varsity football as a sophomore. I went from not really being that great at wrestling to like pretty good at wrestling. Like, the next year I went like 35 and or like 30 and 10 or 35 and 15 or something. It was not bad. Right. And so the reason I tell that story is that it, that was the first part of my life where I realized I can be set in a circumstance and get better at something, which I know is like, kind of like, duh. Right. Like we know that it sounds like, you know, super obvious, but I I don't know, man, like when I was uh, younger, like I think most people out there in the world, like they don't even actually believe they have agency to do stuff. I think instead of feeling like they can influence their circumstances, they feel like they're a victim of their circumstances. So fast forward uh, to my freshman year of college. And, you know, it's funny because because I was really good at sports. I was I was popular when you're in high school. You're popular if you're good at sports most of the time. Sure. So I was like, cool, because I was good at sports, but I wasn't, I had bad social skills. I was really, really bad socially. And so my freshman year of college, you know, I went from being the most popular kid in school because I was like the captain of the football team to being like wildly unpro- unpopular and like, you know, not attractive, wasn't getting the girls, like wasn't even like, I just like went from being really cool to like, shit. Like I can only make friends with like the nerds. Yeah. Bottom of the totem pole again. Bottom of the totem pole. It wasn't even bottom of the totem pole. It was like, I realized how bad I was at like social skills. And I was like, man, I'm awkward. I'm weird. And again, I went to that dark place, the same dark place I went when I, uh, you know, got down in the weight room and I was like, well, this is never going to happen again. I I did this. It was the same exact thing, which is really funny. It was the same exact moments. And I, I ended up transferring schools from a really small community college to a big party school. And I vowed that I was going to, I was playing college football. I, was, I quit college football. I vowed I was going to become like fucking popular in like, you know, this like ladies man or something. And uh, what I did is I started reading books and, you know, the first couple of books I read on like social skills or how to get girls or whatever, they're weird. Like they're real pickup <laughs> and uh, nothing yeah, yeah. wrong with that stuff. I think there's a good place for it, but like, you know, you, you take a really awkward guy and then you try to make him do like, cocky, funny, David, the totally. yeah, stuff. Yeah. and it's like, you just got a more awkward guy. Right. So <laughs> I stumbled upon this book that was an ebook. It was like one of the books people were selling for, through AdWords for 47 bucks. Yeah. And so I bought this book and I remember sitting in the most boring history class of all time. And I read this book cover to cover, uh, cause the history class was two hours. I just powered through it. And I walked out of that class, a different person. And all the things taught in that book were very simple, but like, again, I kind of just had never really worked on any of this 
stuff. So, you know, I realized, oh, like I need to, like when I'm in an interaction, I need to like bring a higher state of frequency and a higher state of energy. I need to be looking at how can I provide value to that? I mean, super basic stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and it kind of gave me some good stories of like what like a popular person or somebody who was great with like their social skills was like. And I mean, I remember walking back into that dorm and having interactions with girls and guys and whoever who were in that dorm and them literally saying, this is after a two-hour history class. I just read this entire book in one sitting. Them saying, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Like, it was yeah. one of those things where when I walked away, they were like, like, what the fuck happened to that guy? Because I mean, I went from like weird as fuck to like cool in, yeah. in two hours. And I think, it, <laughs> I think it's a good thing to show that like, sometimes you do have to build skills. Other times okay. you just have to unlock things that are already existing within yourself. Like I was not like, I didn't have the skills. I was just stifled. I was in my head. I was energetically blocked. And so whatever happened that, that boring ass two hours of history class where I read that book, it totally shifted everything for me. And then over the next year, I mean, I, I changed as a person, like people, yeah. my friends would come and visit me from back in high school and they'd be like, dude, what happened to you? You're totally different. I went yeah. from being like, never being able to get a girl, like, you know, I could barely like get a kiss to like, you know, I was at least doing good. You know, I wasn't like the most, like the, you know, I wasn't, you know, freaking uh, Zac Efron or whoever that guy is. I, I wasn't <laughs> like that, but I was good, you know? Yeah. And so then what happened was that was the second time where I really built, like, I was like, wow, I recognized something I wanted to get better at or improve about myself or a circumstance I wanted to change. And instead of being a victim of the circumstance, I was able to influence, influence the thing. And so that was the second time it happened, right? And I, and I realized, oh, shit, that happened like when I was 14 too. And essentially, the second time, I was like, well, dude, that's when it clicked. I was like, well, shit, I, I could get better at school. I could yeah. get better at like anything. So I started reading all sorts of books because I was like, there's books. Then there's a lot of stuff in these books. Yeah. And I was like, man, I can like really get... So what happened Imagine was... That. So what happened was I uh, started reading books and I, and I... The next thing I wanted to do was get good at school. So I read, I didn't read a book, but I found this site. I, I wish I could still find it today. It was this site for free website that had a little course on it. And it taught you how to, how to study and get good grades in college. And I mm-hmm. went through that course and I went through Steph, uh, Stephen Covey's seven highly effective habits of whatever people. And I went from being like a 2.8 student, never didn't get a 4.0 the rest of my college career. And that was also like, then that happened. I was like, fuck, I could do like anything I really put my mind to. Yeah. And so then I was reading another book and it was during, I used to bartend because that's what you were, you know, if you're trying to be popular at my school, you were a bartender. So I was a bartender, I was bartending, but it was during break. So all the kids went back home and so it was winter break. I'm literally sitting in the bar with like a freaking hobo and me, you know, it's like, and that was the only customer I had the entire shift. So I'm there for eight hours because it's like 8 p.m. to 3 p.m. and 3 a.m. and 3, 4 a.m. And I'm just like, I have nobody to serve because everybody's gone. They went home. It's winter break. And so yeah. I'm reading this book and this, this book by uh, Felix Dennis, you know, it's not a really that great of a book. It's an inter- interesting read, but essentially like it was my first sort of introduction to like, if you want to make money, like you don't do it through being a doctor or like being a lawyer, you do it through like having a business, a business or being a salesperson, which is, you know, hence I eventually got into sales. But that, because I was, I was, you know, this 4.0 student, going to go to medical school, going to do all that stuff, you know, very status driven, very money driven. I realized like, oh shit, like I'm okay. Yeah. I do want to make money because I'm like a flawed human being. And uh, not that you're a flawed human being if you want to make money, but like I was very darkly driven by it. Right. I was, Mm -hmm. 
I, I still was like very status driven. I don't know if it was the wrestling thing I explained or the girls. I don't know what it was, but like I, I still had a lot to prove. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to go do business. That's how you make a bunch of money, not making 200K a year as a doctor. Yeah. Like, duh, right? But like, I thought I was in the, I was in the, the, the track, right? Go to school, go to college, go to medical school, go into the rotation. I was going to be like a osteopathic doctor. I don't even know what it was. I didn't know what I was going to do. So anyways, I, that, I, I walked out of that shift. I'm going to do a business. And at the time, I was following uh, this guy named John Romanello and also Mike Matthews because they were teaching like some fitness stuff. There was evidence that they were bloggers. And I was like, dude, I'm going to blog. You know, that didn't work out. So like <laughs> I could not blog for the, for the life of me. But what happened was I was trying to blog. I was trying to get traffic and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I like I, I procrastinated so hard. I only published one, two, two blogs the entire time. Cause I was like, you know, perfectionist, procrastination, all this stuff. That, that was a year of my first business. Just two, two blog posts. Two blog posts. Compl- accomplished nothing. And then I saw an ad by Sam Evans and uh, I was like, oh, okay. This guy's like 25 and he's a freaking baller. Let me get on this webinar. You know, I'm, I'm like the guy who's attending the webinars. And so I'm like, okay, attend the webinar. Totally like sold into this thing. Like yeah. totally sold and had buyer's remorse too. Tried to refund. They wouldn't let me refund. So it's like, fuck it, I'm just going to go through this. And that was like the best decision I ever made because it, it, it taught that course he had, Consulting Accelerator, if you don't know what it is, I don't think people realize how many people came into this industry through that, especially the high ticket industry. But that's like, this was, you know, 2015. That's what like really, I was like, oh, okay. You know, like consulting, high ticket. And I started to learn like real skills and I learned kind of how the industry works and I learned Facebook ads. So I was like, I'm going to go run Facebook ads for other people. And so I did that, failed for a year, joined another high ticket program. And once I had like, when I went from the course environment to the high ticket environment, I, uh, or, you know, like a group coaching environment where I got some support, I got out of my procrastination and I like just took massive action, you know, tunnel vision, followed the plan. And I followed this lady's plan. Her name was Kat. And I did like 57K in the eight week program. And I was a total underdog. I had no idea how to run. I mean, even though I was running ads, I had no idea what I was doing, how to to run ads. I literally had no business taking on clients. I couldn't get anybody results, but I was selling people, you know? And look like, you know, back then, is that the most ethical way to start? No, but like, dude, I I was so lost. So I take on all these clients and I was trying to outsource it to contractors. I was spending money on ads. My closing rate was shit, you know? So I was just breaking even, but I thought I was making money. So I quit my job. And within three months, I was completely out of money. And so I was, as soon as my bank went less than a thousand, I was like, I made a deal with myself that I was going to go back and get a job. And I knew that there's these guys selling her program who got me in, who are making $20,000 a month in sales. And I was like, well, shit, I'm going to go do that. If I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go do that. Cause like that, yeah, that seems like the easy, the easy button <laughs> to, yeah. to get to $20,000 a month. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I went under a thousand and then I went to go sell for them. And I always say like, you know, sales is like the military of business. So like, I kind of failed and I was like, well, I'm getting into sales, you know, it's like, I'm going to the military. <laughs> right. right. So I was like, cause you always know you can make some money in sales. So it's kind of right. like, it's like the same thing as where, you know, like worst case, you could always go in the military and have a decent job. Right. Kind of the same thing with sales. It's the military of business. So yeah. I get in there. It's the great equalizer, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So I get in there and, uh, you know, immediately I thought it was going to be really good. I was like the worst person on the team. It's terrible. Worst salesperson in existence, to be honest. And, uh, you know, 
I worked really hard at it. And what's funny is to come full circle, like I think my sales job really helped me develop a lot of the social skills that I didn't have earlier. And I was able to really, over the course of a year, go from the worst person to the best person, and then eventually go into a different company and a different company and um, you know have a lot of success. So that's kind of the story for the most part, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so much to unpack there, dude. Even starting back from the story of wrestling at 14, there's a book that comes to mind called Mindset uh, by Carol Dweck. And she really like breaks down those, those two different paths that you're talking about. Like you either get to the point, like she talks about a, a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. You either believe that you just have the abilities that you were born with and there's yeah. not much you can do to improve on them, or you believe that you have abilities you were born with and it's your ability to improve those abilities in accordance to how much time you spend on those, on those abilities. And yep. you clearly were bought into the growth mindset early on when probably, I mean, I would say the majority of the population is stuck in the fixed mindset where they just kind of, they de- their, their default is, well, I'm just not good at that. Like, I just can't do sales or like, yeah. I just like, I'm not built for sports or like, like you could have easily when you were the 14 year old kid just been like, uh, I'm just a skinny kid. That's just who I am. So, yeah. you know, I may as well just play chess or something. Like I, I shouldn't do this wrestling thing anymore. Why do you think that that, like, is that something that you think it was like born, like you were born with? Do you think that you developed that? Was there something that happened earlier on or do you do, can you pinpoint why you chose to go that path rather than the, I give up path? Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, I think here it is. The thing is, is if you look at a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of them either started off with something with their health or relationship Some origin story. Yeah. Well, health and relationships is a very key starting point for a lot of people. And I think the reason why is that like, I don't think even somebody with a true fixed mindset, I don't think they would refute that like if they work out, they'll they won't put on muscle. You know, like I feel like that's a pretty easy gap to cross in terms of belief. You know, like what your potential might be could be different. But like I feel like even somebody who has a pretty victim mindset would agree, like, oh, if I get in the gym and I lift a bunch of weights, I'll probably get stronger, you know? So I out of a place of pain of just getting my ass kicked. I think that was an easy thing to cling on to of like a way I could channel the pain into something that would improve myself. And then once that was a, once that kind of worked out for me, then like the next thing was social skills, which like I kind of, it's, it's interesting, like with, with lifting and health, there was really no shame I had in trying to work on it. But when I had to work on my social skills, it was like, I was admitting that I was like a fucking weirdo by working, yeah, yeah. which is like yeah. so weird. Like now I would work on, I'm like pretty advanced now. And I'd still work on it, you know? It's like, why not? But I don't know. It was like, I, I had all, I remember having all of this guilt and shame towards buying this book on dating. It's like, you know, like, and I wish I would have like not had that. And I just would have like bought more books and read more books. Cause I remember buying one book and being like, all right, well, I'm going to read this one book and I'm going to figure it out or like never read a book. I mean, it was so weird. Like I was just, I was like, I'm going to make sure I do this book, but I'm not doing anything other than this. Like I had this shame towards it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, dude, I like, I think the other thing is when social skills, I, I think it's an easy thing to cling on to the, okay, maybe you can get better at that. And then uh, once I got better at both of those, I was like, oh, you can get better at like anything. Yeah. Once you see it happen, once you see evidence that it actually can happen that way, it's like, yeah. oh, well. That's why a lot of people are entrepreneurial. Like you, a lot of guys start with dating because their dating life sucks so bad. A lot of guys also start with fitness. A lot of women start with fitness. That's how they eventually get into entrepreneurship. Yeah. A lot of women or men also maybe have like a really bad medical condition and you find out about their story about how they heal themselves. And then they go on to help other people do the same thing. 
And that's what really like gets them in the business, you know? So a lot, I think a lot of that comes from this place of like this self-discovery of agency of, and when I say agency, like this growth mindset and ability to change your abilities and, and control things. And, uh, you know, thank God I discovered that because what's funny is you know, as much as I love my parents, like I'm not saying how they live life is wrong or anything, but they kind of don't have that as much. Like, and, and really nobody in my family ever did either. Like, I don't know anybody, I don't have any relative that I can look to and say like, oh, they, they're the same way, you know? Sure. Yeah. And um, I think I just kind of stumbled upon it. And, you know, I think more people nowadays are stumbling upon it because of the internet, which is a really great byproduct of it, you know? Yeah, speed of information uh, makes a massive difference, I think, between our parents' generation and our generation. Yeah, and accessibility of it as well. Yeah, right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay. So I, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the transition then from, from salesperson back into, you know, 100% commission sales is entrepreneurial, but it's not entrepreneurship because you don't have to worry about finance. You don't have to worry about accounting and marketing and all the other aspects of running a business. When you made that transition, because you're making like 30,000, 40,000 a month yeah, as a high ticket yeah. closer or something in there. Yeah. I mean, most people at that are just like, well, I've made it. This is awesome. I'm done. Like, I'll do this for a long time. Yeah. What, what made you just go like, I, I, I got to do something on my own again? Well, dude, what happened was, to be honest, I didn't really plan on leaving. And I kind of, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm kind of a workaholic in, in, in the best way possible. So I, you know, I was working really fucking hard and I kind of, my predisposition to overworking along with the culture of the company I was in, which was a very hardworking culture. That culture ran very hot. We have really high pressure to meet some expectations. 
which I don't, I'm not against. I think, I just think that on top of how hard I worked myself and how much pressure I put on myself. So I, I worked myself into a pretty bad place of burnout. And I, I don't even say that from like a mental perspective. It was more like physical looking back. Like I, I had like chest pain and, you know, I, I had all these like rich signs of way too much cortisol in my system. And yeah. I think what happened was I just kind of worked myself into a breakdown and that breakdown, I had like a falling out with the person who owned the company, which we've, we've made up since and are good friends now, but you know, that, so I kind of all of a sudden was like, went from making all that money to like making nothing. Yeah. And, um, I did not plan on it and I didn't know what I was going to do. And for, for a little bit, I thought I was going to partner with somebody else and build out their sales team. Cause I, I, one thing I did know is I was like, I'm really, really great at sales. And I knew I was also the, like, I knew I could build a sales team better than anybody at that point. So I was like, man, should I partner with somebody? Uh, and then I went to this mastermind. I was in San Diego and we were still sitting around and people were sharing what they need help with and whatever. And I started giving some advice on sales. And I remember like everybody in that room was like, dude, you need to like start your own thing. Cause like, you're really, really good at this. Like you're really, really, really good. And I was like, uh, and like, there's a few people that were like, very like, you really need to do this. Yeah. Like I'll pay like, seriously. Like I'll be customer number one. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay. And then, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I just did some organic and launched and, you know, for the first year-ish, eh, probably like six, seven, eight months, you know, I was doing well, but it was all organic, which is a totally different game than getting paid media dialed in. Because when you're organic, you're really like, you know, unless you're like a Brooke Steele or uh, you're like Graham Stephen or something to where you just have a massive amount of media, right? That, that, that changes the game. That I don't even call, like, when I say organic, I don't almost... That's like not organic to me. That's like, yeah, hey, you, right. you, you, you have a huge media platform. Like that's different. Right. But like for me, you know, I had like a couple thousand Facebook friends, right? So yeah. I was kind of getting customers through that and doing okay. But the big leap is going from that to really having a business. And a business is really at the end of the day, a system. So like it's, it's having a true system opposed to like having a, like me posting on some media, revenue. me taking the sales calls, me delivering, which was great. Like that was actually a fun time looking back. But I will say, like now, it's 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 much more fun, and I feel better about it because it really is actually like a system. Like we have outbound sales, we have paid media, like we have affiliate. Like it's just yeah, and it all is like a operating system, you know. So that's a great shift for any business owner to make. And I think most people think they have systems, but they don't. But you should always really not think about the revenues. But think about the system you're building because the best system will lead to the best revenues. So it's like if you optimize the system, you, you, you get the best uh, result profit and top line wise as a byproduct to that, if that makes sense. Would you at this point more identify as a marketer or would you still identify as a closer salesperson? I mean, I, I mostly identify as the sales team guy. I think that's kind of like my thing now. Yeah. You know, I used to be the sales guru, but there's a lot of sales gurus and you know, I do feel like when it comes to high ticket, coaching, consulting, agency services, that type of stuff, especially mid-market to B2C, I feel like my sales training is the best. Obviously, if you ask anybody else who does sales training, they'll say their sales training is the best. But I, I strongly do feel like mine is. And I've been through everybody's because I, I want to study everybody. Like I genuinely want to learn still today. I'm a student. Now, is my sales training the best when it comes to like corporate or something like that? I mean, it's still pretty, pretty freaking good, but I think there's a few guys that are better than me when it goes to much, much bigger B2B and corporate. It's kind of a different style, sure. but uh, I think our sales training is great. However, there's a lot more people trying to do that. And I don't know, man, I'm just, I kind of feel like I've grown past it a little bit. 
I really like to be known as kind of the sales team guy. And that's the category we truly own, which I can say like, you know, even let's say my sales training is the best. I think like the the next best person would be like right here. Like, I I think like they're right there, you know, but with sales team, I can tell you for sure. The next best person is like, if we're here, next person's person's like here, like we're way better. So I feel like for me, what I'm if like, I, I might as well take that category because I feel like that's where I'm providing the most uh, value to the market anyways. Yeah. And it's definitely a word that we own. Now I will say, I tend to enjoy it. Like I have sales managers now. I don't really manage much of the sales team of myself anymore. And so I do kind of enjoy the business building aspect of it. Yeah. But you know, like I don't, that's a harder category to take. You know, the category king of that one right now is Mr. Hermosi. You know, he's crushing it with that. So it's like, you know, I kind of like my sales team category and that's a big TAM, right? Like we can take that as far as we could want to take it. So, and I still really like it and it's a, you know, fun thing. Yeah. The reason for the question is like kind of what you were saying earlier is, I mean, you can be a really good salesperson and run a $100,000 a month business, but it's not until you can predictably scale marketing channels, cold traffic where you are overwhelmed with leads and have to continue to scale up to deliver, fulfill, and to continue to sell all the people you have coming in. I think one of the things that uh, you've done extremely well is uh, is the marketing aspect and uh, specifically just VSL writing, copywriting, and yeah. a couple of things like that, that that maybe like you're not known for, you don't like market as like, you don't market yourself as the guy that does this. Yeah. But, uh, but like, I mean, I'm in your program, bro, you know, and like I've, I've done a ton of sales. I've been, I did five years of door to door, sold a done a bunch, a bunch of different stuff, gone through a ton of different sales trainings. But like the couple of things that I've learned from your program, probably the most has been like how to script a good VSL. Yeah. And that right now is bringing us like $90 applications. Wow. Cold traffic. The VSL that that we wrote up on like some of the scripts and stuff and yeah. templates well, that you had on there. Well, you did a great job, by the way. Like I will say, when I saw yours, I was like, "Well, his is really good." Like I, you know, you you nailed it. Which a lot of people they have to build the skill, but you you're good with media and you understand video, and so probably done a little bit of copywriting yourself. You have the sales background, so you kind of had the skills. We just needed to put them in the right vehicle. A lot of people got to cool. build the skill of copywriting or being on video or all this stuff, which makes it harder. But yeah, certainly, man. You know, here's what I'll say about that is that when I got into the sales guru space, I was like, okay, well, all these sales gurus are just like so obsessed with sales guru NLP and language and all this sales process. And I was like, dude, my stuff's already like really, 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 really good in terms of sales training. Yeah. And so what I did is I kind of went where everybody else didn't go. And instead of trying to be the best like sales guru, which I, I granted, I'm not discounting my product because I, I like I already said, I, I think it's the best. Yeah. However, instead of trying to get like 1% better with that, I was just like, well, none of these guys know how to buy media. They don't know how to operate a true company at eight figures. And they also don't know how to market. And I was like, man, if I can be the only guy who can really, number one, be able to buy ads profitably and be a great copywriter and marketer. And number two, operate a company properly. If I can do those two things, I'll be in the, I'll be the winner in this industry. Cause it's like, if you ever seen blue ocean strategy where they, they map it on the map and it's like, here's where all your competitors are. And then like they rate it. And then like, you could kind of see where the white space is. Like that's what the white space was for me is like all these folks were not operators. They weren't marketers, but they were pretty good at sales. Like, and I was right up there, if not better than all of them. But like, I, again, I didn't try to like come in and being like, well, I'm better at sales than you. I just packaged my offer better. I marketed better. I, you know, it's all those things. 
the difference even, is incremental if you're trying to compete on like sales training. It's incremental differences because like, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff out there. And that's the thing is too, is like, if you're like, there's a lot of guys who teach copywriting. Same thing, man. Is like, there's a lot of guys who teach copywriting and it's like, well, my copywriting training is better than your copywriting training. But the person who's going to win in that market is going to be the person who probably packages the best offer together totally. um, that works on cold traffic. So like, for instance, like, you know, you can just look at my company, but here's what's going to work. It's either helping a copy, like it, it basically helping some, a writer get into copywriting or helping an existing writer make more money through the vehicle of copywriting. So it's a new opportunity or it's going to be placing copywriters or it's going to be training existing copywriting teams for direct response companies, which mm. might not be a large enough TAM. But like that's the type of stuff like you, you people got to think about because a lot of yeah. times it's not like copywriting isn't a great offer. It's like, how do you package together the offer? You know, for me, totally. I went from one-on-one sales training and I was like, okay, this is kind of, I could tell like, this is not going to be a business. You know, the, the days are going to run out of this. And then I went to sales team training because I was like, okay, this is a little bit more better. And then I went to the recruiting because I, I knew that was the most, like the most powerful one. And then once I got there, it's like, how do you get it to work on paid media? Because that's the biggest thing is like, I will say this, this is just good for you to know and good for anybody else to know is you establish like the person who establishes the category, create or uh, creates the category, establishes establishes themselves as the category king. Hmm. But also the category in the brand is reinforced by advertising. So another thing I would say as well is unless you have a crazy... Unless you have a crazy organic, you know, like if you're like a Brooke Castillo level organic, that's this is different. But for most people, the person who actually creates the category is the first person who could spend at scale and ads profitably, right? So, like, there's a lot of people who are kind of doing what I was doing before, not really a lot, but a few. But I was the first one to really start spending like seven figures, well, you know, a couple hundred thousand a month, you know, a couple seven figures a year on ads, wildly profitable, right? And so that's how you kind of take the category. And now I just like outspend everybody by a huge margin. Yeah. So I reinforce it. And I think that's really, really key for people to understand is that like the more, like the nice thing about paid media is the brand effect. Totally. Like I, I got, I literally got stopped in the parking lot leaving jujitsu yesterday. And the dude was like, bro, I see your ass. And it's like, I get that all the time because yeah. I just have so many impressions and so much frequency <clears throat> and I'm putting more stuff out there. And so I think that's really, really key because you're just reinforcing your position in the marketplace. Yeah. Familiarity breeds trust, man. Yeah. And trust is so important to any sale, but especially high ticket sales. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was one thing. That was one thing I learned from from Grant Cardone at a a mastermind that he put on recently in Cabo. And he basically just tries to reframe people's mind to think about like, look, right now is when like you're scaling, you're starting, you're trying to create a name for yourself. Don't worry about out earning your competition at the beginning. Just worry about outspending your competition. <laughs> like how yeah. much money can you possibly spend without going broke to get your name, to get more people to know your name? So like their mission at Cardone U or Cardone Ventures, all of his brands under the 10X brand, their mission is to get 8 billion people to know his name. Like that's that's his mission. Get 8 billion people to know who I am. Like that's, that's nice. what he says. So it's just like, yeah. if enough people know who you are, even people who initially didn't like you, it was really funny, dude. We were in the room, probably like 25 of us in the room. And he asked, uh, he was like, uh, he was like, if you didn't like me the first time you ever saw me, raise your hand. Probably 40%. Wow. That, I don't know. Surprised. You know, 25K to be in the room for two days. 
40% of those people were like, yeah, I didn't like you at all. His business partner, Brandon Dawson, who runs Cardone Ventures with him, that's a multi nine figure education company, yeah. was one of the people. He was like, oh, I hated it. He was like, I saw a video of you like, like, like throwing cash out of a money machine in front of your jet. And I was like, what a douche. And then like three years later, they're in business together. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, it's not about that. It's about getting people familiar Where with who you are. And, yeah. and like people will start to trust you over time if you continue to deliver on the things that you say that you can deliver on and the yeah. value is there. It becomes about awareness and attention and getting people to be familiar with who you are and who your brand is. Like I, I did a cold reach out recently to a really big, uh, really big podcast in the space. Obviously, you know our offer. People get booked on podcasts. And so we're looking out this one podcast and it was like, man, I don't know if they're going to take any of our people. This is kind of like their really big show. So I reached out to... I got a contact through uh, somebody in my network reached out to the, the booking guy for the show. And I was like, hey, man, we just want to open a line of communication. Let's jump on a call sometime. We have a few clients. Might be something of interest. And he emailed me back and was like, hey, dude, what's up? Yeah, it's funny. I've actually seen a bunch of your uh, the Guestio ads recently. And I've been wondering what you guys do. Let's definitely yeah. jump on a call and connect next week. You know, and it was like, oh, This random dude who I didn't think was going to go anywhere is now like excited to talk to me just because yeah. he's seen my face in a couple of ads. I, I know. And I will say like, <laughs> what's weird is I do think... Facebook has more of that effect than any other platform that I've seen. I don't know why, but here's how I know is because when a random stranger will stop me on the street and they will say, I see your ads all the time. I always ask what ads do they see? And like some of these people aren't even business owners, but they see our B2B ads that are on Facebook. Whereas our, like our YouTube and our TikTok ads are mainly B2C. And uh, what's funny is that it's like, that's mainly B2C. That's, we're spending four times more on those ads, but they're seeing the B2B ones more. I think it's a Facebook thing. Wow. I just think they have more inventory, cheaper impressions. Yeah. And I also think YouTube in particular has a bias against serving impressions more than a couple of times. Whereas mm-hmm. Facebook, like... You, you, Increased you, I mean, frequency, yeah. As much yeah, so, so we're, we're shifting a lot of budget back to Facebook. I think Facebook's king again. You know, it's funny. TikTok ads is really good as well, but I think it's only good for some offers. And obviously YouTube's great too. Like they're all, we, everything works. It's just, I, I like that. Cause like, again, right now I'm really trying to establish brand yeah, and uh, just get people again to like know the name. And, and it's funny because even though people might not come directly from the ads, a lot of our referrals are from ads. Like a lot of our Word of mouth is from ads. Like it's, yeah. it's established through ads. And I think one thing that could help your audience is, and I got this from the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding, is you really want to, like when you, publicity is what establishes you as the category king, but advertising was, is what maintains it, right? Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, I think once we took on, you know, people like Tony Robbins and, and, and Dean and Frank Kern and Agor Financial and all these companies, you know, that was like a kind of a publicity thing to where it's like, damn, they're working with them, you know? And in fact, we're actually uh, in talks with uh, Cardone's company now uh, for a VSL though, not not sales. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But, you know, there's several people that, you know, we're working with Jay Abraham uh, on on that type of thing. And so I think that was like a good publicity that kind of established it, you know, and good word of mouth and all that stuff. But then what we maintains it is the impressions. And I think when you're advertising, one of the angles we're really trying to use, even though it might not be as effective, is just why are we the number one blank? Mm. You know, why are we the number one blank? And it's telling them why we're the established category king. You know, yeah. and if you look at actual traditional brand advertising, that's exactly what it does. The good 
type, right? Sure, it, sure. it reinforces why that brand is the number one blank, you know? Right. And right. so I think like for you and, and maybe for some of your audience, like if it was you, I'd say, why are we, I don't know, I don't know the, the name in which you refer to what you do. Yeah. I mean, I know what you do, obviously, I'm a client, but I don't know like if you have like a nice phrase for it, but it's like, why are we the number one blank? in the podcast industry like what or why do all the top names go to us when they want to blank you know yeah. it's just such an easy direct ad to do and it, it just the impressions of that it's like oh you know he's like cole's the sales team guy why he's yeah. worked with blank 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 you know it's just little stuff like that i think i always try to think about how do you engineer like word of mouth behind the scenes you know yeah yeah so you're running obviously uh multi eight figure company now. I mean, you guys are on track 30, 40 million, something this year. What is the biggest difference between running an eight figure business and a seven figure business? Yeah. I mean, just, just to be clear, you know, we've been at about 2 million to 2.5 million. I mean, really like 2.3 to 2.6 ish for, for like probably six or seven months. So, you know, in all candidness, we're kind of stuck there. And if anybody knows how to, I mean, I feel like we know what to do to get past it, but we're, I don't know. It's like, we're yeah. still there. So anyways, that's where we're at. Just to, you know, I know you said 40 million. I don't want to, I don't, yeah. don't want it to be more than it is. Sure, so that's sure. where we're at. Just a measly 30 is all. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Cash. It's not like <laughs> revenues, right? It's not like yeah, contracts yeah. close. It's like what hit yeah. the bank account. What's the difference? Well, here's what I always say. In the beginning, it's about making yourself rich. So that means figuring out what you're selling, how you're selling it, and getting your clients' results, right? That's, that's stage one. That could be like zero to 100K a month, zero to 200K a month even. And then phase two is, is making your clients rich. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean making the money. It could be whatever, right? So typically what happens is you kind of get the thing off the ground. And then once you get a critical mass of customers, you kind of realize like, oh, my product kind of sucks. And like <laughs> you, you need to take on more clients than you're comfortable with in that second phase. So you figure out where your product's breaking down. Because most people think that like they need to, they think they need to essentially fix, like they're like, well, I'll, I'll fix my product, then I'll scale. But usually they don't know what to fix until they scale. Yeah. And certain things they think are going to be an issue are not an issue. It's all based on assumptions. So you actually have to break it to be able to know what systems actually build. So that's why I call phase two, making your clients rich. Phase three is making your team rich, which this is probably the eight figure phase, right? This is probably mm. what takes you from about three, 400 grand a month to maybe even lower, like maybe let's say 250 grand a month, all the way past a million a month. And this is essentially really giving your, your recruiting some tremendous people and giving them a, like what, you know, loon shots would call soft equity, which is a lot of recognition and a percentage it doesn't necessarily have to be hard equity, but like definitely like a upside and a percentage and stuff and really coaching them to success because you're not going to be able to do it all yourself. And so this is where, and also this is where business gets way more fun because like it sucks when it's all on you, to be honest. So now we have really, really great team, really, really great people. They have skin in the game and your job is to make them successful so that they can make money in their comp structure and build really like, I guess you could say generational wealth, but you know, just obviously if like, like I got people making, you know, 40 to 70, 80 K a month that work on my team, right. Net, right. Like, yeah. yeah. And they're gonna they're gonna make all make more. So people like that, it's like they're in a place. You know, I, I don't I don't want to call it generational wealth because I feel like that's like having real estate trust and all that. Sure, you, sure. you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like a lifestyle. Life it's, it's a it's a level up of a lifestyle. Yeah, you you want them yeah. that ability to like 
get theirs, you know, is like the only yeah. way to explain it. And right. you want to help them get there. And it's way more fun when you're doing it together too. And so that gets you past a million a month and, and potentially even to 2 million a month. What I would say though, after that is the fourth phase is teaching your team that you just did that with to help them do that with their team. You know, it's like, it's like an yeah. inception. It's like you getting your team to make your team's team rich. Yeah, and sure. so this is where those leaders are building departments and executives under themselves. And this is very, very hard because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're twice removed from what's going on. So it's kind of like they're, you know, doing their, you got to yeah. let them kind of do their own thing and obviously make mistakes. And um, I think the people I have doing it are doing a phenomenal job, but like, you know, the, the, the big thing about coaching leaders is like, number one, even if I wanted to prevent all their mistakes, I couldn't, cause I, you know, don't have the bandwidth to figure out every little thing that's going on that they're doing. But at the same time is like, I, I learned by doing a much, bunch of mistakes and making big mistakes really fast. So a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're training their leaders will think that, oh, like they should just know, and they're not allowed to make mistakes, but like, well, that's what you did. You made mistakes. So it's giving them permission to make mistakes and helping them derive the right learning lessons from the mistakes. I mean, that's one of the things when I was an employee, I learned that from one of my mentors. And so um, I think that's a huge thing. And then, you know, past that, I don't really know what's, what's stage five. You know, I, I think it depends on your, your, your TAM and, and the, every, every business has limits to how much it can grow. So I think it depends yeah. on that. And I think eventually, you know, any business becomes a business of many businesses. And so uh, we haven't hit that stage. I mean, we do have two companies. We haven't hit that stage yet, but like, you know, when we do, I'm sure that will help us get to multiple nine figures. And we could, we could go that route now. Like I have people who want me to take equity in their business and help them with their sales team and shit. But I really am passionate about do, keeping doing what we're currently doing sure. and really optimizing our companies and keeping our mission about producing and empowering world-class salespeople because that's really what like is more exciting to be anyways. Well, dude, I got, I got one more question for you. Um, I'll let you go. Uh, so this is Build Your Network. Uh, we talk a lot about relationship stuff on the show. We didn't talk about them as much uh, with you today because I wanted to focus on a couple of other things. But I've asked this question, I don't know, hundreds, hundreds of times to all the people who've been on the show. So curious to hear your answer. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two do you think is the more important, the more important asset in life? Oh, I don't know, man. I'm mean, asking a good question. You know, it's funny because I think they feed into each other. I think it's more what you know, because sometimes I think it doesn't matter who you know, unless you know some good stuff and you can provide some value, right? But like your network's huge as well. Um, but what I'll say is when you can become a person of value through what you know, you're more likely if you go into a network to people to come up to you or people to say, oh, I really like, you know, I see your ads all the time. Oh, like you're that, you're this guy. Like I, I tell you what, when I go to networking events, People always are like, dude, I need to introduce you to X, Y, and Z. They need help with their sales team. Like, I mean, that happens to me all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think so. I think the best networking tool is to become a person of value, you know? And then um, I do think, obviously, you, you got to be sociable and you got to be able to provide value and try to figure out, like, what's the value of the other person. But also, dude, at a certain point, I'm probably getting way too heady with this response. But at a certain point, it's like, if you know enough people, that, that in itself becomes of value, Valuable, right? Yeah. So like when I think about some of the great connectors I know, like I don't know Joe Polish personally, but I've heard like legends of, of Joe Polish, right? And, you know, apparently everybody's always the most well-connected guy there is. Like yeah. when I say Joe, who's Joe Polish, somebody will be like most well-connected guy there is. Like he gets that every single time, which is, that's brand, but that's category, you yeah. know? And so that in itself becomes valuable yeah. when it hits a certain critical mass. 
Certainly. So to answer your question, man, personally for me, it was more of a what you know thing. I think it's what you know kind of gives you leverage to get to know some great people. You know, I can go both ways. Yeah, no, that, that's that's always kind of the um, uh, that's why I like the question because it, it it really leans into what that person in particular has experienced. You know, there's no right or wrong. It's just like some people focused on the who first, and then the what came, and some people focused on yeah. the what first, and the who came. But yeah, I think it, I think it largely just depends on like what your experience has been. And the bottom line to me is just like whichever one you decide to do, like do it. Uh, for me, it was always the who you know because that's how I learn best. So it was like I always like getting around people who knew way more than me because my what always increased so much more than if I just like read a book or watched a course or something. Is like if I get around somebody who's doing what I want to do on a much higher level than the one I'm operating on, like my learning is just more way more exponential at that point. So I always focus on like who can I find that I can learn from so that I can skip all the other bullshit that happens in between where I am now and where I want to go. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an either or I think a lot of times. So, but yeah, dude, I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on the show, man. This is a lot of fun. I'm sure I'll be seeing you either. I don't know, uh, Salt Lake for a hundred million or, uh, uh, Scottsdale sometime, uh, in, in the near future. So hundred percent, man, but I will, I will be there in, in Salt Lake. Sweet. Sweet. Sounds good, dude. Uh, before we go, uh, where can people connect with you more? Closers.io is the place. That's the website. Closers.io. Closers.io, guys. If you are uh, somebody that's looking to learn how to make a little bit of extra money online without starting your own business, doing all the other stuff that we we're talking about today, and you just want to learn the one skill set that will take you into the rest of your career, then uh, there's nobody better than doing it right now than, uh, than Cole Gordon's team over at Closers.io. And if you're a business and you need a sales team, uh, then, uh, then also uh, that, that's the program that I'm in. Uh, their, their coaches, their training is uh, second to none. So go check out everything they're doing over there, closers.io. Cole, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's a lot of fun. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.